a listener-submitted version of our Monsters Among Us theme by listener Max Wilson. He sent that in a couple of years ago. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Monsters Among Us. As I mentioned, I am your guide, Derek Hayes, and I'll be with you for part of this evening. As you probably figured, I'm still between seasons, gearing up for that season 16 premiere here in a couple of weeks. But as promised, I'm here with some fresh content. Well, fresh-ish. Unless you happen to be a Patreon supporter, that is. Because tonight's episode is another previously Patreon-exclusive. Our after-show program that we lovingly call The Beyond. And I'm sharing two episodes this evening. Back-to-back, Season 15, Episode 2, and Season 15, Episode 3, respectively. Now again, I'll reiterate, this content was previously unreleased, found only by joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast. Now before we dive in, a couple quick announcements. We are very excited to announce the brand new Monsters Among Us Halloween t-shirt design, available now in the shop. This year's design is by artist Adam Parnell Deal and features yours truly, my cat Annabelle with some gnarly Halloween monsters and for the first time we have long sleeve available in this design as well if you guys have to check this design out it's so unique and detailed I think you're going to love it now if you like this art make sure to check out more of Adam's work I link to his website in the show notes he's even illustrated a couple of books and I have one of them the artwork is simply amazing Now again, links to all of Adam's work can be found in the show notes. And you can get your Monsters Among Us t-shirt now in the shop at monstersamonguspodcast.com and punch that shop tab. Go quick, because I promise these new Halloween designs are going to sell out. And lastly, there's still time for you to check out Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness in the Brago Triangle in a theater hopefully near you. September 8th through the 14th at Bookhouse Cinema in Joplin, Missouri. September 16th at the Majestic Theater, Crested Butte, Colorado. September 22nd through the 24th at Inglewood Cinema in Inglewood, Ohio. And November 2nd at the Salina Arts Center in Salina, Kansas. 
Now I'll have more information on this upcoming. But if you ever want to check these dates, just visit BrayagoTriangle.com. Now, without further hesitation, the Season 15, Episode 2 and 3, Beyond Unlock. Enjoy, folks. Now, folks, welcome to another edition of The After Party. It's a downright pleasure to have you here with us this evening. And I've pulled out a handful of calls I think you guys will really get a kick out of. A nice variety, too. So let's not waste any time in diving in. Up next, we voyage to the Magnolia State of Mississippi. Nick, welcome to the Beyond. Hey, Derek. I have called in before. I remain anonymous, but you can call me Nick. I live in Mississippi, and this is a story from when I was about 9 or 10. I'm 20 now. My mom and my brother and I, we lived in Hale, Mississippi, and we lived in this house. And it wasn't a very big house, but it was a three-bedroom, and then it had a really big playroom, that was what we made it into a playroom that was toward the back of the house. Well, weird stuff happened in that house. My brother and I, we would only play in the playroom on weekends, really. Uh, it was where we watched movies, we had a TV, we had toys, and we would we had games and stuff in there, and that's where we play on weekends before my mom would get up and we would get permission to go outside. And there was a bathroom connected to this playroom. So at night, Sometimes we would go brush our teeth in that playroom. And I'm not really sure why the toothbrushes were all the way over there because we had a bathroom in between our two bedrooms. But anyway, we, we would brush our teeth in there sometimes. And it was always a thing. If that room was like, it got so dark in there at night. And we hated it. We just absolutely hated it. <laughs> we would take turns on, you know, who would flip the light switch. My brother would ask me, hey, do you want to? And I'm like, sometimes I'd say no, and sometimes I'd be like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it this time. The light switch is in the middle of the room. So if you go in there and you want to turn on the light, you got to walk halfway across this room and flip this light switch on or off. So, you know, we would get done brushing our teeth, get done doing what we were doing, and he would be standing at the other end of the, the laundry room, and then it'd be the playroom. So he'd be outside the laundry room. And be watching me and I'm like, okay. And I'd flip the light switch off and I'd run across the room and, you know, it was all fine. Uh, there was, I didn't realize it at the time, but there was so much fear in my body. It was like something was chasing me out of that room. Well, I didn't think much of that when I was young. I just thought maybe I was scared of the dark. You know, I just did not like that room at night. Come to find out a few years later, my mom told us about the really weird stuff that happened in that house. She'd be up at night. She was in college, so she'd be doing schoolwork and stuff. And she would hear silverware rattling in the drawers, footsteps. She had a desk in the playroom where she would do some of her homework. So her back would be facing the entrance. And sometimes my brother and I would get up in the middle of the night and say, hey, Mama, we need some water, or just say we couldn't go to sleep or something. And there were a couple of times where she heard the footsteps come all the way up to her and she's like, yeah, baby, what do you need? And there wouldn't be an answer, and she'd turn around and nobody was there. 
there was one other time, you know, she was in the kitchen doing dishes, and my brother and I were outside, and she heard something, and she turned around, and she swears she saw, like, a flash of red behind her, and this flash of red, like, it matched our school uniforms. This was after school. So she's like, did I just see one of my kids in the house? And she looks outside, and she's like, no, they're outside. So she didn't think much of it, just thought maybe she was seeing stuff. Well, one night, my brother and I were brushing our teeth in the playroom. I remember this night specifically. She would, um, well, sorry, this is just a little unnerving. She, uh, she was in the living room. I don't remember what she said she was doing, but she was just in the living room. She was standing up, walking around, and she saw my brother run past her, all, like, in his oversized T-shirt. His head was shaved at the time, and he didn't, he didn't have a lot of hair on his head. My mom saw him run past her and into his bedroom, and she's like, Jacob? That's my brother's name. And she called his name again, and she went around to his bedroom, and his door was open just a crack. Not big enough for him to slip through. He would have had to close it a little bit, and the light, it was so dark in that room. And she flings the door open, and she turns the light switch on, and she doesn't see him. So she starts screaming his name. Now, my brother and I are in the bathroom. We are brushing our teeth, and we just finish up, and we hear my mom screaming his name, and I'm like, hey, I think Mama wants you. So we rush into where she won't because there's something off. I didn't really think a whole lot of it. I just knew something was, it felt like something was wrong. <laughs> I'll never forget the look on her face. She's still in his room looking for him, and I say, we show up to the little entryway to the hallway where our bedrooms are, and I say, Mama, he's right here. And I'll never forget that look on her face whenever she turns around and sees him right beside me. And that night, we we slept in her bed, <laughs> and that same night, uh, we, got, we got the house blessed. And after that, we didn't have any more issues. There was another issue where she would leave the house, and she'd lock the door behind her, and we would come back, and the door would be unlocked. And I, I specifically remember one time, like, we were home. It was a weekend or holiday, you know, whatever, summer, I don't know. We were just home. And she told us to get in the car. And she was like, okay. And she made me stand beside her. And as she locked the door, she's like, I am locking the door. Mick, did you see that? I locked the door. I was like, yes, Andy, lock the door. So we get in the car. We drive around for maybe a block or two. We come back and the door is unlocked. That happened a lot, all the time. Every time we left the house, that door would be unlocked. And at the time, I just, like, when that happened, I just didn't think a whole lot into it. I just felt like something was wrong. There was, like, a deep, heavy feeling in my chest. I just knew something was up, but I didn't ever put any much thought in it because I'd never experienced anything. Turns out my mom's uncle owned the house or whatever, and she was renting it from him. And it turns out that people before us have had issues with things like that. And I don't know much about the history of the house, but I know that way back when people, you know, had barbershops at their house, this man would cut hair in that big room, in that playroom. He had a barbershop in that playroom. And I don't, that's, that's really all I know about the history of the house. But the people who moved in after us, it was like a grandmother and her grandson or a mom and her son, I don't remember. But this little boy would say, you know, He'd just be sitting in that playroom, just talking 
to nothing. And she would ask him, hey, who are you talking to? And he's like, oh, my friend. And yeah, I just send chills down my body. But anyway, I love the podcast, and I you know, hope to hear this on the podcast. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks, Nick. You know, that story pretty much runs the gamut. All bases seem to be covered. Footsteps, moving items, strange sounds, entities, doppelgangers. But I think the scariest aspect of all of this, for me at least, is the unlocked door. That's on par with a spirit that likes to light fires. It's terrifying. It's destructive. Dare I say, downright criminal. And it's wild stuff, Nick. And we thank you so much for sharing it with us. Football is back. And my Bengals may look like the bungles of old, but I'm still pretty excited. And you know who's got you covered for every single one of those games? Well, it's DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code MAU to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code MAU. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOP-NY or text H-O-P-N-E-Y. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility. Terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposits restrictions apply. Now, back to the action, and this time, it's with an entry out of Georgia. Christina, welcome to the program. Hey Derek, this is Christina again. I wanted to tell this story. It's not my story. It's my next-door neighbor's story, who's like a grandmother to me. Um, A next-door neighbor in Florida, where I'm from. So it's close to Eglin Air Force Base, Crestview, Florida, where I'm from. And anyway, I grew up next door to this nice lady and we played games, poker and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, so she told me this story once and she told me I could tell you, I, I talked to her the other day. She told me this story back in the 90s, probably the late 90s when I was in high school. This happened to her. She said it was the late 60s, like 68, 69. So in the story, she's in her car driving. She had visited a friend in the hospital in Fort Walton Beach. And she was headed back on the stretch of road. I cannot, I haven't lived there since 2004, so I cannot remember the name of the road. But she's basically heading for Walton Beach, and she's on the stretch of road that's headed towards Niceville, towards Eglin Air Force Base. So she's in her car by herself, and it's late. It's at night. She said it was clear. It was probably about 1 in the morning, and she's on a stretch of road. She said it was dark. Back then, there wasn't a lot of, like, light. And it's still kind of that way now. But um, there was not a lot of lights. There were no businesses. It was just like a stretch of road with trees. So she was headed to the 123 cutoff to where 
It kind of goes in between Niceville, Eglin, and then Fort Walton Beach, headed to Crestview. So that's because that's where she lives and she still lives. But so she's in the car by herself, and she says to the left of her in the woods, she sees a green glow or green light. And she thought maybe it was a reflection of something because, you know, the moon was out. And so she kind of didn't think anything of it at first. But then because she was messing with the radio and she looked back up and she said now it was closer to the wood line, closer to where the telephones would be. Like it was, she, she said it was still in the woods, but right at the edge to where if it popped out, it would be like in the clearing where the telephone poles are on the grass and the curb. So side of the road. So she said she saw this green orb and it was keeping pace with her car. She said it was probably six or eight feet off the ground. She said it was just keeping pace with her the whole length of the way when she drove in between Fort Walton to the 123 cutoff, which is almost to Niceville. But she said and it kept pace the entire time. She said and it never came out of the woods or anything, but she said it was like of the basketball size green orb and she said the whole time it just kept pace with her and it was on the right side so she was driving you know on the right side of the road but it was like in the woods to the right of her so she said it was fairly close but anyway but she says she doesn't know if it was alien or you know some kind of entity she said but that was the only paranormal experience she'd ever had and when she went to turn left to go onto the 123 cutoff off the road she was, she said it just disappeared. It didn't follow her because it would have had to have come out of the woods and come across the street, you know. So, but that's it. Green orb kind of keeping pace with her car next to her in the woods. She said she never got scared, but she just, it was odd. She said she'd never seen anything like it. So that's your story. So uh, thanks a lot, Derek, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you, Christina. I've actually spent a couple weeks in that area back in the early 2000s. Spring break, Panama City, in fact. And Eaglin Air Force Base isn't all that far from there either. And you can certainly tell. All sorts of jets and helicopters going up and down the coast. So perhaps it's not all that unusual to see something, well, well, unusual in that area. But it seems folks around those parts are convinced that they know the difference between military aircraft and a mysterious object. And I did a little digging and I stumbled upon an article by the Tallahassee Democrat that features many of these North Florida sightings. So if this topic piques your interest, hit up the show notes and check that out. And thank you again, Christina, for the entry. And this one is a bit of an odd one. From the state of Kentucky, please welcome our anonymous caller. Hi, Derek. I'm calling in from western Kentucky, actually where Kentucky, Indiana, and Illinois all kind of converge. I'm I'm going in uh, without stating my name. It's not my story. This is my wife's story. But uh, to begin with, so uh, my wife for years would drive her mom back and forth to work and her mom worked you know, odd hours you know your typical third shift 11 to 7 kind of thing 
same job for all those years, same route the whole time. But there was one night where she was driving her mom to work, and she said what she described to me as, uh, I think she called them long dogs or tall dogs, something like that. And I've asked her about it a few times, and she said, well, you know, that they were big dogs with abnormally long legs, specifically the back legs higher and longer than the front legs. So they were kind of loping along, you know, with this odd gait. She said they were like a reddish brown and there were either two or three of them. So she was, you know, driving, you know, down the road and she was approaching them from behind. So she saw, you know, their backs, their haunches first and didn't really know what they were. And she got a little closer. She could see that either one of them or all of them had their heads turned you know back looking behind them at her approaching and just about the time that she recognized what they were they just sort of dissipated i don't know if they just you know blinked out or you know kind of you know went away in a dissolving pattern or what but you know they disappeared so you would think that this would make the situation weirder but it gave her a moment of relief she thought you know okay you know i'm tired I'm seeing things. I need to get home, you know, get to bed. And uh, right about that time, her mom piped up from the passenger seat and said something to the effect of, did you see those dogs or, you know, what was wrong with those dogs? But either way, she had seen the same thing that my wife did. My mother-in-law tends to be fairly superstitious, and it's always driven my wife crazy. She just didn't respond to her mom because she didn't want to get her, you know, amped up. She didn't feel like getting into it, you know, something like that with her mom you know, that late at night, but they're not from the area. They're from Milwaukee, but they've lived here long enough. They've driven that route long enough. The both of them are familiar with, you know, the wildlife of the area, countless deer, occasional fox, coyote, you know, whatever. This is the only time that either one of them had seen anything like that. And just the fact that they both saw the same thing without either one of them saying anything to each other just lends a bit more credence to the story my wife and I are both lifelong atheists and as such are just tend to be, you know, prone to skepticism. But I mean, when something like that happens and you can't explain it, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, I'm enjoying the podcast and uh, thanks for your time. Thank you, caller. Long dogs, tall dogs. Honestly, I've never heard of either. But luckily for us, MAU's newest family member happens to hail from the Bluegrass State. So we sent our new production assistant to Lainey, her first assignment. Find out what you can about long dogs, I told her. And boy, did she come through. To my surprise, she stumbled upon a story that coincidentally originates only a few hundred miles from the general area our caller was referring to. They call the legend... The Long Dog of Sir Goinesville, Tennessee. In the early 1800s, a frontier family was traveling across the wooded expanse of Appalachia, hoping to create a new life in the West. Weary from a long day's journey, the family stopped to camp under a giant white oak near Sir Goinesville, Tennessee. That evening, John Morrell, a fearsome outlaw with a penchant for untold horrors, came across the sleeping family and seen an opportunity to plunder riches, murdered every single member in cold blood, 
including their beloved dog, who fought hard to protect its owners. Now, those who travel near this location report seeing an unusually long dog that chases after visitors before vanishing in thin air. And as dead on as that story might seem to be, there is another similar tale equally as intriguing. Though, I will state that it seems to be some sort of urban legend attributed to Native American folklore. That said, it seems too relevant not to mention here on the show. And this story, too, originates from northeast Tennessee, just about 25 miles from Sir Goinsville. And of course, I'm speaking of the Unlaga Daglala. Now, supposedly, in Cherokee lore, the Unlaga Daglala is a canine-human hybrid that is purported to terrorize the Holston River Valley near Kingsport. The name, which translates roughly to spirit with knife teeth, was too challenging for white settlers to pronounce, so they settled on Long Dog. When fully outstretched, this otherworldly spirit reaches lengths of up to six feet or longer, with oily, matted fur, glowing eyes, razor-sharp teeth, and sulfuric-smelling breath. The creature's misshapen legs, which are longer in the back than in the front, cause it to lope awkwardly after its victims. I must say, that's excellent work digging these stories up, Delaney. And although they're essentially from the opposite side of the state, they're still surprisingly similar to our caller's report. And make of them what you will. Because there are, of course, other explanations at play here. It's well known that the Koi Wolf, a hybrid canine made up of coyote, wolf, and domestic dog DNA, could be responsible for these mysterious dog sightings. These animals tend to grow longer, taller, and bigger than their counterparts, but are said to still resemble a wolf or coyote. So I wonder if this was the creature, why the animal wasn't just described as a wolf in the first place. And that fact makes me lean more towards this theory. It sounds like another, very real animal that under normal circumstances shouldn't be anywhere near Kentucky, Tennessee, or North America for that matter. But you know, that doesn't stop it from checking every other box on the checklist. South America's maned wolf is an oddity in the canine world. It's called a wolf, looks like a fox, but in fact is neither. It's an omnivore rather than a carnivore. It's a rare, solitary canine. Its urine smells like hops or cannabis, but its most well-known attribute is its incredibly long legs. So long, in fact, that it makes it look like the creature is walking on stilts of some sort. Now, I posted an impressive video over in the show notes of one of these things crossing the street somewhere down in South America. I highly suggest you check it out. Now, in addition to those long legs that matched our caller's wife's description, the maned wolf is also reddish-brown in color, just like the witness described. But I think I know what you're saying. A maned wolf in Kentucky. How? Why? Now, we've already discussed ad nauseum the lax laws that certain states have pertaining to keeping exotic wildlife. I tried to look up the laws in Kentucky, but... I'm no lawyer. But I did notice that it's illegal to keep a wolf in that state. Canis lupus, to be specific. But there was no mention of the maned wolf. 
I won't even attempt its Latin name. So, Collar, I suppose there's really no way of knowing exactly what those long dogs were. It wasn't caught on camera. I wasn't captured on video. There are no footprints. So it seems like we may be out of options. Except, in all this digging, I managed to find the unique call of these odd creatures. They call it a roar bark. And I think you're about to hear why. So there you go, caller. If you hear that distinctive call in the backwoods of western Kentucky, I might just be on to something. Thank you again, caller, for the interesting entry. Hey, man. My name is Alex. I am from Salt Lake City, Utah. The story I've been wanting to tell you happened back in 2016 when I was working at a warehouse here in Salt Lake. I was working a night shift with one of my friends. His name is Kevin. So during that time, they were barely starting the night shift. You know, nobody has done it in like 10 years. And they gave me the task to start it up again and make sure it all goes smoothly, report back to them in the morning. I said, great, I will. I took on the task. And so in about a week, we started to notice a time frame of where work would not come to our side of the area of the warehouse. So we would just, you know, stay on the forklift for two hours, just chill, basically, for a certain amount of time. Because we knew product wasn't coming down to us at a certain time. So we were just chilling. Uh, eventually, we worked out a system, right? We would hide and sit in certain areas where, where we could. And I would hide and sit in areas that I knew I could see somebody coming into our area. So by that, I mean... I would sit close to something or on top of something or in something where I could see the entryway. And then that way I would know to get up and, you know, pretend like I'm working. So this time when, when I was doing it, I was hiding between some windows. Uh, the patio windows, they call them. They, when you take out the vent on the back, you'll see where you can just sit there if you pile up enough of them. So I did that. Piled up enough of them, sat there. I could clear, clearly see both passageways who would be coming in or who would try to come into our area. So, as we're sitting there on our phones, I thought I'd hear somebody tell so like, Kevin, shut up, bro. No, get off your phone or just completely shut up. While I said that, it got so close to us that I was like, damn, they caught us. We're about to get in trouble. But as they hear the footsteps, it walks right past us. But as it's walking past us, it's whistling. Whatever it was, it was whistling. It was like a three little bee whistle, like, and boom, it was gone. So I get up, I'm like, I didn't see nobody coming in both of the ways that I usually look. I didn't see anybody coming. So I'm like, damn, I got to get up and I got to move to an area where I, I know I'll see the person that was just back there walk back right out. So I'm waiting there, pretending to be working. I don't see anybody come out of our area. I call the night supervisor. I'm like, hey. 
you know, Charles, were you back here? He said, no, I'm over here in the glass area, which is like a five or seven minute walk. And it, it didn't take me that long to get up. So I knew he, he was there long before the, to come check up on me. And so I, I asked Kevin, I was like, man, what the hell was that? Like, I don't know. So at the end of the day, when we're clocking out, I turn off all the lights before I leave. That way, when I'm leaving, I don't got to run back and turn off the lights. So I turn them off, and we're chilling by the time clock. While we're chilling by the time clock, I see these bright red eyes in the area we were sitting at. So as we were clocking out, I see these red pair of eyes staring back at us. And I was like, Kevin, what is that? What the hell is that? He's like, I don't know, but I see it. And it was so horrifying to us. And it left me with such a bad vibe. Like I said, I went home. I told him, because back then I was young. I was at least 18. I told him what had happened. And she seen how I was so freaked out. I'm kind of dark in skin color, but I was completely white, she said. So she had to kind of cleanse me of bad energy with that egg. And, you know, I remember I left the night shift after that, and I was in the day crew that time. But there it is. That's my little story. I have more, but I'll call back at a later time. Thanks, man. Bye. Thank you, Alex. You know, life's tough enough without some ghost ratting you out. Or perhaps it was just the ghost of a former boss, still chewing people out in the afterlife. Thanks again, Alex, for sharing the entry. And thank you, dear Monster Squad, for joining us here this evening. I trust that you've all been doing well. And I hope that you've enjoyed the program thus far. It was pretty good to hear from my friend Kate. I haven't heard from her in quite a while. She has a pair of boys now, and they're all doing pretty well. They're good people. And it was also really good to get up to the Bigfoot Discovery Museum. I think I need to make me one of those. The San Bernardino Mountains up here were chock full of all sorts of strange occurrences. One thing at a time. Can't get out of myself. Anyhow, thank you so much again for joining me here this evening. Let's go ahead and get on with the show. Our second entry this evening takes us to the state of North Carolina. Tess, go on ahead with your story. Hi, Derek. This is Tess from Asheville, North Carolina. My story isn't super scary, but I felt the need to contribute to my favorite podcast, and I hope you can use this. So, I was on spring break in Turks and Caicos with my best friend, and it was the night before we left, and I was lying in bed with my headphones in as to not despair my friend who was trying to sleep next to me. And at some point, I fall asleep with my headphones in and woke up in the middle of the night with them laying next to me. And I remember thinking to myself, I need to be sure and pack them up tomorrow because I wouldn't want a four-hour flight without them. And I didn't have the funds to buy another pair. So I woke up the next morning and saw them on my nightstand before going down the stairs to catch some final rays. And again, I told myself I needed to pack them. But I left them there and continued downstairs anyways. So when a, when a few hours passed, I finally went upstairs to start packing my stuff, and I successfully got it all together, perfectly packed, and for some reason, I didn't remember to get my headphones. And just to clarify, when I went downstairs that morning, my friend who I shared the room with was already awake, so she couldn't have taken them. 
she was already all packed up and no one else had been in the room since I was. So about an hour after I got packed up, I remembered I hadn't grabbed my headphones. So I went upstairs to grab them and I looked around and they were nowhere to be found. The room was completely clean, but I tore it apart and remade my bed to make sure that they weren't lost in the abyss of covers. And they weren't, they were still nowhere to be found. I was pretty irritated that I couldn't find them, so I went downstairs and asked if anyone had picked them up, and they said no. And I absolutely interrogated the friend I shared the room with and got pretty upset because I felt like she was lying. So I proceeded to look through all of her stuff, like all of it. I was pretty irritated, but still nothing. And my headphones had a crack in them, so I knew which ones were mine and which ones were hers, just to clarify on that point. I got my purse out from under the stairs to get my sunglasses out in preparation to leave for the airport in a few minutes. And I want to make clear that I also tore apart my purse. And after I got my sunglasses out, my purse never left my shoulder and my sunglasses case was completely empty. So about five minutes later, once I got in the car, which had tinted windows, there really wasn't a need for the sunglasses anymore. So when I opened the case, I saw my headphones sitting neatly in my case, and I could feel my face go white with shock. I spent hours and hours looking for them, and for them to be in such an obvious place was very irritating in a place that I had just looked in, and they were completely empty. So yeah, my face just went white with shock, and I showed my friend that she had the same reaction because there was just no way they could have been in there. Something wasn't right, and I've never had such a, like, a sick feeling in my stomach. It's like when you're looking for your keys and tear apart your house only to find them in a blatantly obvious place where they've already looked. It was like something was toying with me. But yeah, that's my story. I've thought about it a lot since it happened. It was a pretty crazy experience just because I knew that there was no way that they could be in there. My purse never left my sight, neither did my sunglasses case. So, um, yeah. Thank you so much for your awesome podcast. Bye-bye. Thank you, Tess. We appreciate you calling in. Now, the only thing I can think of here is that the hotel staff came in to straighten the room, and they found the headphones, perhaps knocked on the floor or something, and put them in the glasses case for safekeeping. I feel like that would be an odd thing for them to do. But that's about the only thing I could think of. Now, regardless, it's a somewhat innocent yet creepy story. So we thank you, Tess, for taking the time to share. Now, our next entry is pretty rare, in that at the end we get a little closure. So please welcome Christy from Indiana to the program. Derek, this is Christine, Indiana. I'm a newer listener to the podcast, but I've heard your alien black cat encounter as well as some others, so I thought I'd share this quick little story just to remind listeners that sometimes an unexpected black panther sighting might really be an actual black panther. So when I was a kid, I think it was the summer of 1990, my best friend and I went with her grandparents to their vacation home on Bull Shoals Lake in Arkansas. Her grandparents lived in a little densely wooded area right on the lake. 
If you do a Google image search of Bull Shoals Lake, you'll see it's surrounded by really dense woods. The homes aren't close together. There's a lot of privacy. It's old growth forest all around all the houses. So we arrived in the evening and there was a message on the answering machine from one of the neighbors. Uh, my friend's grandparents had no idea, but apparently one of their neighbors had an actual black panther as a pet, I guess, and it had escaped its enclosure. So they were putting the word out to keep your pets and kids at least indoors until they find their panther. And apparently they did sometime that night, and we were allowed to wander down to the lake and back on our own for the rest of the trip. So there's an example of a real black panther on the loose somewhere. You definitely wouldn't expect to see one. Also, I recommend you check out a news story online from February of this year. A hunter filmed a black panther in the woods in Arkansas. It's pretty cool. So Google Black Panther in Arkansas and look for the 5 News online article. Anyway, just thought I'd share. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for calling in, Christy. You know, while we were in Santa Cruz camping, one of our friends brought along a little projector and we viewed the 2023 documentary film, Cocaine Bear. I must say it was delightfully gruesome and fun to watch at a campsite where a bear could wander in at any moment. But it got me wondering, what if another animal fell into the habit? A quick Google search later, I got my answer. Allow me to introduce you to Cocaine Cat, who, by the way, is an African serval cat. An exotic cat is recovering at the Cincinnati Zoo after testing positive for cocaine. Back in January, officials received reports of the cat hanging from a tree in Oakley. Officials were able to retrieve the animal, bring it to the Cincinnati Animal Care, where it was tested for drugs. CAC medical team discovering the cat tested positive for cocaine exposure. The exotic animal was transferred to Cincinnati Zoo for further care and supervision. No charges are being pressed against the owner. It's unclear if the cat will remain at that facility. Hey, at least you didn't eat anyone. Now, for those unfamiliar, servals aren't huge. They're spotted sort of like a cheetah. They're sleek, lanky, maybe two feet tall, 25 pounds. And luckily, this poor animal has found a permanent home at the Cincinnati Zoo. And that clip was courtesy of WLWT, NBC News 5, out of Cincinnati as well. Who day? I find it kind of weird I have to say this, but please stop giving the animals cocaine. All right, well, this next one takes us to the state of Tennessee. Where that whole cocaine bear thing started, I think. Here's Barry, ready with his experience. Hi, Derek. This is Barry calling from Tennessee. Big fan of the show, been listening for maybe two months, made it through a little more than half of the episodes so far. Calling today about for experiences I've had involving what you and some some other callers have referred to as slippage or slipping. This is something I've had, sort of had experience with. It's a little different from what I've heard most of your callers report. 
little bit about me, I, I tend to notice things around me. I try to pay a lot of attention to things around me. Obviously not going to say I notice everything all the time, but I, I think I'm quite a bit more observant than the average person and than most people around me. Some of my slips that I've experienced are, they tend to be very minor things, but it happens somewhat often. Things where I'll be talking to a person and then I'll turn around, look back at them, and their shirt will be a different color or their hairstyle will be different. Very minor things. And in my mind, like I'm positive that five minutes ago they were wearing a blue shirt and now it's yellow or something of that nature. Or maybe they, they had their, their hair just down flat and all of a sudden it's spiked up or parted. Just minor things, but it's something different. And it's happened to me so, so many times that I almost don't even question it because it's one of those things that you can tell people you've seen ghosts or seen Bigfoot and they'll kind of go along with it or, you know, a lot of people believe in it. But you try to tell people you've slipped through other dimensions or universes and that, that one kind of gets some funny looks. Here recently, actually, this just this past week, so there is a road that leads away from my house for probably about the past four years. I drive down this road at least three times a week. Not a super long road, it's maybe two miles long, neither secluded nor super busy, probably oh, probably around 15,000 cars a day. So it's well-traveled, but not heavily traveled. Just little two-lane road. Well, as I leave my house, on the right-hand side of this road is a cornfield. Well, this past week, as I was driving past this cornfield, I glanced over and there was a big hill in the middle of this cornfield. I first thought, oh, that, that, that's odd. Where, where'd that come from? I know, it, know it's been really hot. I've seen some sidewalks and asphalt buckling, but I wouldn't expect to see that much land shift. And then driving past it a couple days later, and it, it's still this giant hill. Only now the, the corn from it has been harvested, so it's just the stalks. So I, I can clearly see that it's the ground actually has this hill, this curvature to it. And for the past four years driving past it, I could swear this land has been flat. Again, I can see that the corn has been harvested, so that, that kind of puts some other things in place for me, because had somebody been prepping the land, you can move dirt around, you can create a hill. You can create a hill and even sod the grass fairly quickly. You cannot create a hill and transplant fully grown corn ready to harvest. I can't explain it. I, I would swear that this piece of land was flat. And again, like I said, I've, I've driven past down this road three times a week for the past four years. I've gone back and looked at some topographical maps of the area, and they all show that curvature being there, which would stand to reason if I'm the one slipping. So I, again, it's probably the, the strangest slip experience I've had. It's usually just clothing or hairstyles, something very minor changing. This is an actual geographical change that I've, I've noticed now. Yeah, I, I can't explain it. It's a little different from most of the ones I've heard on your show. I believe in season nine, episode 19, you had a call from Steve. His actually seems to be the most similar to what I've experienced. I plan on calling in my experience anyway, and then I heard his call and yeah, I just wanted to call mine in, see what you think about it, if any of your other listeners have some thoughts or if anybody's experienced anything similar. Thank you very much. Uh, love the show. Bye.
We appreciate the call, Barry. Where did that hill come from? Was it there the whole time and he just didn't notice? You know, my thought here was that perhaps there was a row of trees obscuring Barry's view of the hill, giving him the illusion that the ground beyond was flat. Then one day a crew comes in and cuts the trees down and boom, suddenly there's this weird hill in your face. That's a stretch, I understand. And it's probably something that Barry would have noticed. With all those stumps and all. But outside of that, I have no other guesses, and I certainly don't have any concrete answers. But I don't feel bad about that. Because I'm not sure that any of us do. But I do thank you, Barry, for taking the time to call our hotline. And if you guys need that number again, it's one 888 night. Now that brings us to tonight's final entry. Please join me in welcoming Jennifer out of Texas to the program. Hi, my name is Jennifer and I am born and raised in a very small town in Texas called Mount Pleasant. It's going to be in the northeast corner of Texas. And my story actually happened at about 10.45 p.m., my mother and I were in a 97 red Chevrolet extended cab truck and we pulled up to a red light there, it's a four-way, in Mount Pleasant on Highway 67. I've had some paranormal things happen to me or some unexplainable things, but this has always stuck out to me. I'm not sure exactly what category it would fall under. I have always just assumed that it was a guardian angel. So we pull up to the red light and I had my foot on the brake and we're sitting there and we were having casual conversation and all of a sudden out of nowhere on the driver's side window I hear this really hard knock Now this is a city where it's a very small city it's there's not you know like a huge homeless population or anything like that there was nobody in the roadway there were actually no cars at the intersection anywhere. When I heard the knock on the window, of course, my instinct, I jumped and I looked out the window. When I did, I saw that side of the intersection. There's nobody standing there, but what caught my attention before I could even process that there was no one in the road was that there was an 18-wheeler coming to the intersection and my light had just turned green. So as the knock happened, I was actually letting my foot off the brake. I hadn't moved my foot over to the gas pedal yet. But we were fixing to start rolling forward. So the knock happens, and I look over, and when I do, I see this 18-wheeler, and he is barreling through there, definitely speeding. And he's running the red light is what he's doing. So I immediately slam my foot back down on the brake, and the front of our truck stops probably inches. Uh, It shook the whole truck when the 18-wheeler just blew past the front of us. I think I went through just a couple of seconds of shock, and then I turned and looked at my mother and said, did you hear that? So we we hear the knock on the window, or I hear the knock on the window. My mother does not hear anything. And I'm, I'm trying to, through the shock of it, explain to her that somebody basically beat on the window. That was so loud that it had to have hurt 
you know, it hurts when you knock on a hard surface like that. And I just, I looked everywhere in that area trying to figure out who could have knocked on the window, why they knocked on the window. And all I have ever been able to figure out is that my guardian angel, it just wasn't my time. It wasn't our time. And and so he or she knocked on the window to get my attention in that direction. The really super odd thing about this is I was a teenager. I was only like 16 years old. So at that point, you're not really super spiritual. You're not super religious. Or I wasn't. I, of course, believed, you know, but I hadn't really took any kind of deep dive into that belief or anything like that. And when I was 12, my big crush was killed in a car accident. He was 15. He was years older than me. And it was a tragic accident. And this was around the same time of the year. And this was just maybe a few blocks from where he was killed. And I would have thought there, you know, there was no connection. A connection didn't occur to me in the beginning. But shortly thereafter, I dreamt about him standing on this hill. It was the first time that I had ever dreamt about him. And it had been four years since he had passed. And he was standing at the top of this hill. It was a starry, bright, full moon night. And I walked toward him up to the top of the hill and he was just kind of standing there like stargazing and so I walked up next to him we were kind of shoulder to shoulder and he said it wasn't time for you to go and I sure didn't want you to go like I did and I thought okay I don't know if that is what occurred I don't know if was it him was it my guardian angel is he my guardian angel And I don't know that my brain wasn't just trying really hard to find some rationality somewhere to grab something, but I just thought that that was a really interesting turn of events. And it definitely changed my outlook on how things work. I definitely went from kind of believing in certain things to to really believing that somebody is looking out for you and somebody is just always there with you. Thank you for your time. I love the podcast. Thank you, Jennifer. Well, I don't know. Maybe one man's guardian angel is another man's ghost. Meaning to say, maybe it was someone else that had already lost their life at that intersection. If not, Jennifer's friend himself. But regardless of what they were, We're certainly glad they were there for you that day, Jennifer. I shudder to think what would have happened if they weren't. So thank you again for taking the time to share that entry. And do me a favor and be careful out there. Ever since I started riding a motorcycle, I always look both ways in any intersection I cross, even if I have the green light. You never know that two-second glance could end up saving your life. And on that note, that's all I have for you guys this evening. Per usual, I'll be back here next Thursday with a brand new installment. And I certainly hope to see you then. Monsters Among Us Beyond was written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support was provided by Sarah Carter Hayes, Delaney Bowers, and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. 
and the terrifying score you heard tonight. Well, that's Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Go.ag Music, and Carl Casey and White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you a ton for the support, and I hope you all do the right thing and keep it spooky out there. I'll catch you next week. Have a good night.